what's going on y'all y'all uh monday morning digesting week four of nfl action hope you guys enjoyed your uh sunday night football probably start there um decent amount to talk about in this game even though I don't think it was a well-played game from an offensive perspective, but there are some storylines. We got storylines coming out of that one. So that's that's all we can ask for here in the NFL content sphere. Uh, i also go through everything else I have for the week as far as uh, adjusted scores, game reviews, everything else. Uh, I'd be remiss if I did not highlight that you can find all of this information and more and a Google subscriber sheet with all the other uh, metrics that I have for adjusted quarterback efficiency, all that other stuff uh, over at unexpectedpoints.subsec.com. Check her out. Um, all right, let's just get right into it. You guys, you guys don't want, uh, I, I'm all about, let's just get into the the content here. Let's not mess around too much uh, when it comes to the happenings of the week or whatnot. And uh, for those of you tuning in here on YouTube, you got any questions for me about specific games, about uh, just general things in the NFL, what's going on, fire them over into the comment section. I'll get to them at the end. Um, or if you're you're listening on the pod, you know, respond via email to one of the posts for an unexpected points, drop a comment in the on the post, on the Substack, if you want me to answer anything else in the future. All right, let's get to Sunday Night Football. Uh, Jets, Chiefs. So, three-point game, 23-20. to 20. I'll get into the betting implications for the Mahomes slide down at the end. Um Adjusted score, 26 to 19. So a little bit more wide than what the actual score was. Now, why is that in a game where a lot of people are acting like the Jets should have, could have won the game? Well, I mean, it's mostly just based upon offensive success rate. So the success rate for the Chiefs was near 50%, only 38% for the Jets. And I think that's important. That's going to be kind of like part of the thematic thing here when I'm talking about what the Jets had done, what Zach Wilson had done. It was very concentrated goodness. There were some some high highs when it came to throws, but it's pretty concentrated. And just overall, if you look at the efficiency of the Jets offense and, you know, whatever you think about the Chiefs defense, smack in the middle, 50th percentile efficiency for the Jets offense versus 80th percentile for the Chiefs. Uh, even when you net out the ugly couple of interceptions that Mahomes had. And I'll get more into that later on. Uh, one of the big differences in offensive efficiency here was third down conversions. The Chiefs converted 7 of 12 third downs versus an expectation of only 5 if you account for down and distance. Now, one of those big, big ones was one near the end of the game where people think there should have been an offensive holding. Again, uh, I'll get into some of those details a little bit later on. Uh, but I do think this game, at least my initial reading of this game, is that we're going to have a little bit too much positivity on the side of the Jets, of Zach Wilson. Uh, we already have Robert Sala after the game saying, if he plays like this, we're going to win a lot of games. Uh, maybe too much negative with the Chiefs and Mahomes, although, you know, Mahomes is Mahomes. I don't know if there'd be that much negativity. I think people probably just chalk it up as a poor game uh, on a few throws there. And throwing the ball. 
But I think the, the mistakes will be more be made with, with the Jets and what happened in the Jets game. And, well, why is that? Well, again, I mentioned success rate very low for the Jets offense. Well below 50th percentile type of success rate. Barely hit 50th percentile with their efficiency in this game uh, for, for the Jets. And it was almost perfectly aligned in a way. The way the two quarterbacks generated their results, the way Wilson and Mahomes generated their results with misconceptions about quarterback value and what we'll take out of this game. So we'll see what the PFF grading is going to be on Wilson. I think it'll be pretty good because outside of the fumbled uh, shotgun snap, which was on him, and I'm sure he'll get a turnover worthy play for that. He might have accumulated a couple of big time throws on those or a few big time throws on those touchdown drives which will then outweigh it. And then a lot of stuff just gets, ends up getting netted out as zeros uh, via PFF. Um, and maybe he missed Wilson down the sideline on one play, which could have been a big play, although it wasn't the easiest throw, which may get him a negative, you know, 0.05 or whatever they do over there. Um, but, it, you know, I'd be shocked if he wasn't graded higher than Mahomes in this game. But I think, you know, the EPA per play where Mahomes is much better. Mahomes was about 0.2 EPA per play. Wilson, I have him at slightly positive, although it would be slightly negative if you credit the entire aborted fumble, snap fumble to him, which is probably more appropriate. Um, so it's not going to look like that, the PFF grading. And why is that? And I think PFF grading sometimes can also align with misconceptions about quarterback play uh, or quarterback value, like what's really, really valuable. I mean, number one, the interceptions, people probably looking at those two interceptions from Mahomes and thinking those are really, 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 really bad versus the fumble for Zach Wilson. Now, I mean, is bad luck in some ways, you could say the fumble, the second and nine fumble with seven minutes and 30 seconds left that Wilson had in the game. But if we look at for a pure value perspective, the fumble, five expected points lost. You combine the two Mahomes interceptions and it's 5.4 expected points lost. Uh, the one with Kelsey at the end of the game, it's not that costly because there's just not that much time left in the half. So he's pressing, trying to throw ball the ball down the field. It only costs 1.3 expected points because of how little time was left um, in the end of the half. Now, maybe you figure, oh, even if it's you know fewer than 30 seconds left to go, there should be a higher assumption than that with the Chiefs have the ball. It's first and 10, all that sort of stuff. Uh, kickers can make long field goals. Yeah, maybe that number is a little bit off. It's probably hard to calibrate models there. But I think generally it's probably good to say that the interceptions are not quite as bad as we think a lot of the time versus versus fumble. So that's number one. Uh, number two, scrambles, right? So scrambles, I think they be they were highlighted a lot on social media, and we all noticed the Mahomes scrambles last night. So it's not like it'll be ignored or something like that. But still, 7.2 expected points added from scrambling last night from Patrick Mahomes. If you look at Zach Wilson's total expected points added on plays where the ball left his hand, so excluding the fumble, um, excluding you know any sort of negative scrambles, negative runs, which he had in this game, uh, excluding... I was going to say interceptions, but there was an interception. So excluding sacks in this game, 
Uh, Zach Wilson had 7.4 EPA. Mahomes, 7.2, just on scrambles. And that's only on a handful of scrambles of scrambles obviously the the big one you know the holding call maybe i'll just address that now so the holding call that people wanted on the mahomes scramble where it was third is it absurd third and 23 and he picked up 25 yards for that scramble um yeah i mean i guess it looked like a holding but then again you know these like o-line twitter i have to check what these guys are saying because sometimes they're like if you get your hands on the inside then you can do whatever i i don't know yeah it was probably a holding but whatever I'm not, I'm not getting too much into the refereeing stuff in this particular game. I just want to talk about some of the misconceptions which could happen outside of that. So again, almost as much EPA added via scrambles for Mahomes as via non-sack dropbacks for Zach Wilson. Um, pretty good. So even though he had you know kind of like a bad game overall for Mahomes. Uh, because of the fact that he got this scramble EPA, because of the fact also that he doesn't really take sacks, that's the important thing too. Scrambles plus not taking sacks together. Only took one sack for six yards. So he's getting positives with his extending plays and moving down the field, and he's not really getting negatives. Just a huge boost to efficiency, which may not come through so much, at least, in people's um, in people's uh, uh, perceptions of it. Um, and also I think we're, we're going to, we're, we talk about like making the easy play versus the big time throws and things like that. Again, Wilson had these, you know, bigger, big time throws on those drives, but you got to be able to do the easy stuff too. He still didn't end up with, you know, positive EPA per play. Even if you take out the, the fumble, it's only slightly positive. So you, you still got to do a little bit more. I don't want to get like too excited about what we saw from Zach Wilson last night, despite the fact that that will be a part of the takeaway. Uh, okay, let's get down to the bad calls at the end. And, you know, everyone, you know, I don't know how crazy people are uh, on YouTube versus on social media, but everyone's favorite thing is to complain about the refereeing on an island game. Um, it's not easy being a ref, you know, I, I respect, I respect our zebras out there. And, and, what, and what they're trying to do. Uh, first, I'll say that the holding call at the end, which got a lot of play, I mean, it wasn't egregious, but it wasn't like he didn't do anything. You know, it wasn't like he didn't touch him or something like that. You know, if you want to call it holding, you want to call it illegal contact beyond five yards. Um, kind of his arm wrapped around ish a little bit, not for very long, whether the ref threw the flag, knowing that the interception was coming or not. I don't know. I think he had the flag out of his pocket before it was actually intercepted, but he probably was influenced by the fact that he saw that it affected the play, right? He saw that the, the pass was coming in that direction. So maybe there was some effect there and eh, whatever. I'm not going to get, you know, I'm not going to get too upset about this. And I, I don't quite get the response from people. They say, well, I wouldn't have been as ex upset about this if it wasn't for the fact that the holding was missed in the other direction before. I mean, these are not like contingent plays. These are separate plays. And if we view these as independent sort of plays, let's not think about any sort of conspiracy theory in any sort of, in any either, either direction. Let's just say you have two bad calls. You have two bad calls, two or two, not to say bad, two controversial calls. Um, to think that because one team got both of those calls, there's any sort of favor favoritism in either way is is crazy because at least just statistically is crazy because, listen, you have four different potential outcomes when you have call one and call two. 
Your four different outcomes are call one goes to team A, let's say, and call two goes to team A. Your second potential outcome is call one goes to team A, call two goes to team B. Your third potential outcome, B and B, and then B and A. Guess what? Two out of those four outcomes, the same team gets the first call and the second call. So in other words, 50% of the time when you have two controversial calls, one team will benefit. So it's just a it's, it's, it's it happens 50% of the time. You're not always going to get one and one. That only happens 50% of the time, even though if it's, it's completely random. People, you know, I think generally people have trouble thinking about randomness and the fact that it's not alternating. For instance, it's a, there's a very famous uh, anecdotes and story about how a professor would have um, a statistics professor would have his students, and I, I'm just making up numbers here. I don't know if this is true. And let's say there's 30 students in the class. He would say, okay, I want you to write down for me um, as random as you can think, like heads, tails, heads, tails, heads, tails, you know, let's say like 50 heads, tails. I want you to write, write this down. Um, and then I'm going to random, I'm going to generate random heads and tails. So let's say, so, so there, so there are 30 students, there's one random heads and tails, and he's always able to go in and pick out the random one. He's always able to find it. What is the true random one versus what people do? Because when people do it, they're, they're not, they're not making it as streaky as it really is. You can have four, five heads or tails in a row in these circumstances, uh, six, maybe even in some circumstances, just through pure randomness, but people's conception of it is like, okay, maybe I'll do two heads in here and then I'll do one and then I'll go back to another one. And then maybe I'll do three in one direction and then go back in the other. No, that's not how it works. Like people are, people's conception of randomness is, is not nearly as high as it needs to be as far as how it can maintain streaks in one direction or another, even when being completely random. So I think that goes for officiating too. We need to think about officiating more as just randomness. So two calls in one direction is like a coin flip, okay? It, it happens 50% of the time you get two calls in one direction. It just happened to be to the case of the Chiefs there. Now the Chiefs have the better team. The Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes. The Chiefs have... Uh, Taylor Swift and the, and the crowd, all that sort of stuff, but whatever. Uh, I, I don't really care about that. Um, now, the last thing here, gambling. Let's talk about gambling-related takes. I don't know how many people are actually whining about the fact that they're not winning as a Chiefs better, where I think it was Chiefs eight and a half, and then you know Mahomes slid there at the end of the game to secure the three-point victory rather than taking it for the touchdown and what was involved there and everything else. Um, there has become this like perverse incentive on social media for people to whine and complain about not winning their bets due to unforeseen circumstances like a player getting injured because some sports books have gone out and refunded that. Uh, of course, when the sports books are refunding it, it's like a marketing cost for them, which then they go ahead and they're going to turn around and charge all their betters eventually and hire VIG. So like you're, you're, you're paying people who didn't deserve to win. And then taking a little bit from everyone else, which seems like not only bad business, but, um, you know, be careful what you ask for if you're asking for these refunds um, as betters out there. Uh, but I'll say even from a perspective of like what Mahomes should have done, and there's a fantasy football element to this, too, of course. People who had uh, Patrick Mahomes on their fantasy teams probably wanted that last uh, rushing touchdown there, that nice, sweet, juicy uh, six points that they would have gotten if he ran in there. Um 
it wouldn't have mattered from a win probability perspective if Mahomes scored or not. So it wasn't one of these situations where if it's after the touchdown, it's within it's eight points or fewer, which would technically give the Jets a chance to come back and tie it or win it in overtime or regulation or whatever. So it wasn't one of those circumstances. So if Mahomes scores the touchdown, the the 100% win probability is the same in both directions. Basically, I mean, maybe it's like 99.99999 forever if you don't, if you don't um, in both directions, because you could, you know, like fumble a snap on a kneel or whatever you want to say. But anyway, for all practical purposes, 100% in, in both scenarios. But I do think there are like some tangible-ish sort of benefits to Mahomes sliding down. And I don't know how you could get mad at a player for doing it, because I think it's the probably the right thing to do. I mean, it's just simpler, right? You slide down, you kneel it out, you're done. That's it. Game's over. You don't have to worry about kicking the extra point. You didn't have to, you don't have to worry about kicking off. You don't have to worry about playing any defense after that. Whatever else may have happened, it is just done right there. Uh, less injury risk. You don't sit around for as long. The game's over faster in probably that manner. So there are like some tangible benefits to him just sliding down. So, you know, good intuitive play, I will say, by Patrick Mahomes. Go ahead and sliding down on this. Um, you know, that, that that that's the way it goes. It's interesting. I have a comment here about, he said, found it funny that Tariko didn't want to say that betters were mad so weird how they're trying to adjust this. Yeah, it is kind of weird how they're trying to adjust to this. One thing I will mention for those of you who are not on the um, Prime, Amazon Prime, what is it called? Prime Stats? God, I don't know why. I, I'm having a little bit of a brain fuzz here with my man Sam uh, Schwartzstein on there. Um, Prime Vision, I think it's called. Prime Vision, is that it? The broadcast for Thursday Night Football. They have like win probabilities, money lines, uh, betting, current betting things at least displayed on there um schwarzstein comes on periodically to give a little spiel about uh like some different stats to watch i don't think he talks explicitly about betting but they do put that on the screen and i don't know is that on the screen for the normal tnf broadcast i i'd assume not i assume it's only on the prime vision broadcast but i do think it's at least interesting that they're like explicitly putting graphics on the you know in the corner periodically when during the game. So at least they're starting to embrace it a little bit more. Although I, I do think, you know, saying that a team is currently at, you know, minus 1400 to win the game. I don't know if anyone really knows what that means. I mean, yeah, I know you could say, Oh, it's 14 to, to one ish sort of thing, but I don't know. I don't know if anyone really understands. Uh, maybe they should translate that more into win probabilities for people. Uh, but anyway, just going back to, to the chiefs game, Again, big, big, big level takeaway. Wilson, fine. He played fine, but I don't know. I mean, I feel like I've always been kind of rational about Zach Wilson. I haven't dumped all over him very early in his career when other people were doing that and they were, you know, being apologists for uh, Justin Fields. But at the same time, you know, I've been realistic about the fact that the Jets need to move on, need to move on to someone else. And that's probably not going to happen after this game. There's a very weird phenomenon on social media where everyone seemed to be like, 
everyone seemed to be treating Zach Wilson like uh like like a kid in some ways where you're trying to like pump him up and be like, Oh, good, good job, Zach. You scored a touchdown. You know, we have to give Zach Wilson credit. Good job. I mean, whatever, it's fine. He scored, but let's just like, let's look at it at both sides when he's playing poorly. Let's not get super crazy about it, but be realistic about who he is. And when he's playing well, we could say, Oh yeah, he had a good drive here, but that doesn't change how we think about him. It doesn't change anything how we think about him. In fact, there was a funny little clip here. Um, at least I found it somewhat humorous. Uh, Rodney Harrison after the game interviewing Chris Jones, where, Chris Jones says, like, he's basically, he's baiting Chris Jones a bit to say, like, were you surprised by how well Wilson played after seeing how horrible he was on tape? And Chris Jones was, you know, he's doing the player thing, the correct player thing, which is you don't, you don't say anything controversial. And he's like, oh, no, no, Zach Wilson's, you know, he's, he's special player. We weren't expecting anything. And then, you know, uh, Harrison is incredulous being like, come on, man, you could not actually believe that he's special this way. And a lot of people are mad at Harrison for that. Yeah, I mean, maybe he could be nicer about it. Uh, he didn't have to say it in, in in this way with this tone that was so incredulous about the fact that Zach Wilson is special. But it's the correct take to say we don't think Zach Wilson is special still, <laughs> especially not based upon past tape. He makes some nice throws. I'll give you that. He makes some nice throws. But we always knew he could do that. We saw the pro day. Uh, we saw what he did there. We always knew he could make nice throws if he's protected, if he's in a very highly regulated system, if he has great um, – you know, open receivers who can, you know, who can really just sit back and deal like he was able to do there. We always knew that he could do that to a degree. It's going to be doing the other stuff. And we still don't really know that at this point. So, you know, no participation trophies for, for Zach Wilson, at least for me, when it, when it comes so far on this one. All right, let's uh, get back to the early window and the London game here. We're going to start, we'll start in London, uh, Jacksonville, the, the unofficial, um, the unofficial home team in London. See, I think they played there twice as often as any other team so far this year. 23-7, uh, actually very close according to the adjusted scores just because the turnovers were massively bad. Uh, although for Ritter, this is one of these like regression to the mean, although it went way past the mean, but maybe appropriate because he had gotten so lucky on turnovers until this point. I think he had something like, depending upon whether you look at PFF or whether you look at the more strict grading from um, FTN data, which I'm also using. He had somewhere between seven and nine turnover-worthy plays so far this year going into the game, but only had, I think it was one turnover, two turnovers. Um, so it all came out in this one. He had the pick six, he had the fumble, he had four sacks, um, it cost a total of about 25 expected points. Uh, I don't think Trevor Lawrence did anything like that special in this game, but he, you know, just didn't, didn't mess everything up like the Falcons, like Ritter did here. Now the Falcons offense was actually really good running the ball uh, about 80th percentile running the ball. We saw uh, Bajan. I'm going to go with Bajan, not Bijan to respect, uh, respect the, the, the uh, Falcons PR department and their decree. Uh, 105 yards on 14 carries, so that's going to get you a pretty good um, EPA there. And the Jaguars are pretty good passing the ball, but you know, again, he didn't really have to do that much, Lawrence, in, in this game in order to go ahead. Uh, I think it's going to be Taylor Heineke time soon in Atlanta, even though they're 2-2 two and two right now. Um, it's weird that it kind of feels like a little bit crisis-ish for the Falcons at two and two in the way that Ritter is playing. 
even though if you said going into the season, the Falcons are two and two after week four, people probably would have been like, okay, you know, that's, that's not bad. We'll, we'll take it. Um, but I don't know that one. And the fact that it was on a, an Island game, is going to be really rough for, for Ritter there. Uh, Lawrence, decent EPA per play. Maybe I should give Lawrence some more credit. You know, I didn't really watch the second half of this one. So I'm not sure what happened, but he added about four EPA and rushing and scrambling 6.1 CPOE, uh, about a quarter of a point per play added and inspected points. So it was a pretty good game, pretty good game for him on this one. Only a six, a dot. So a little bit shorter throws there. Uh, but I will say one of the, the funniest things I like the broadcast crews kill me. Uh, the, so for some reason, the, the uh, Lou, Lou Riddick and um, Dan Orlovsky combination kills me in particular. I remember five plays into the game. Um, the, uh, the Jags had converted a third down and then were on, I think it was third and five after the next two plays. So again, like just crawling up the field, they had, um, 18 yards in five plays. So not even four yards a play, right? Like 3.6, whatever yards per play to that point. And Orlovsky said something to the effect of, I really like the start for the Jaguars offense. What the hell, man? Like, like, <laughs> We, we do what I really like setting up two third and mediums or third and shorts and th- you know, third and three and third and five or whatever it was third and two and third and five. I really love this start. No, you're going to miss on one of those conversions. And you're going to have to punt the ball, which they did immediately after on the next play. Like we're, we're in the business of gaining yards here on offense. People not getting running back touches uh, and grinding down the field. Come on, man. Uh, you're, you're, you're killing me. You're killing me with these broadcast crews. All right, let's go ahead to the marquee game. And if you look at my uh, kind of like power rankings, adjusted scores based team tiering after Sunday, I put that up there. The Bills and the Dolphins are kind of by themselves in the top tier. So they played each other this week, which maybe it's going to lower people's impression of the Dolphins to be quite a bit lower than the Bills. Um the Bills were just awesome offensively in this game. I don't think they'll be that good every single time. It's kind of the duality of Josh Allen that you can get these sort of games sometimes and not so much other times. But the Bills, but the Dolphins weren't that bad. They just got like an avalanche falling on them uh, in this particular game. So they, they win by 18. I'm sorry, by 28, which is a mo- monster win. Uh, Nine-point victory according to the adjusted scores. Like I mentioned, both teams did really, really well offensively. Well, I mean, the, the, the Dolphins were, like, good offensively, and the Bills were extremely good offensively. Uh, if you look at the percentiles, well, I guess the Dolphins weren't really good. They're 43rd percentile um, offensively, but not bad. But but still, we're, talking, we're going to the Bills here. 99.5% offensive uh, efficiency, 99.8% dropback efficiency. Going to be tough to beat anyone when you do that. Um, another thing here is that their win probability was 94% at halftime. So stuff that happened in the second half, including some Tua turnovers, maybe we shouldn't care about them too much, uh, but they will affect his EPA for play and drop him below Brock Purdy on the season. Uh, Josh Allen, 14.2% CPOE best of his career so far Four incompletions, as many as touchdowns in this game, monster game for him. Um, I was gonna say is the best game with someone with at least 30 dropbacks since Aaron Rodgers in week seven. I'm not sure if Brock Purdy got 30 dropbacks, but he actually had a, I don't think he did, but he actually had a better EPA per play this week. So two monster games from those two guys. Uh, and again, I'll talk about the two, uh, turnovers that came into this. Cause he had, he lost 14.2 
expected points when it came to sacks. He took four sacks in this game. He'd only taken one in the first three games uh, and interceptions. But if you look at this here, so he had the most negative plays for him. Um, he had two sacks on fourth down. They were both at, you know, 1% or 0% win probability. And he threw an interception, which, you know, at 6% win probability. So there was something there. Um, but again, a lot of those mistakes came where I wouldn't call 6% win probability garbage time because teams don't play like that until they get down much, much lower. If you ever see, like I've seen this before where people will restrict, you know, anything below maybe 10% is being garbage time or 5% is being garbage time. I think you got to get almost down to like one, 2% and in the second half of the game in order to really get to garbage time. Um, but Tua did have some mistakes that came in that range, in that range also. Uh, we'll see. I don't know about Allen MVP. Could we, could we talk in Josh Allen MVP? Let me look up MVP odds here. At uh, let me look at DraftKings to see to see where they may be right now with Allen coming out of the weekend. Um, oh, he is. He's number one. I was I guessed on my column that he might be leading the MVP odds after this week because the Bills look so good as a team. He is at DraftKings at least at plus three eighty. Uh, Tua at plus five hundred. Mahomes plus five fifty. I guess it helped Allen that Mahomes didn't look good. That helped him a lot. Jalen Hurts, who's really kind of been meh, um, plus 700. And then we go with Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Christian McCaffrey getting up there. Brock Purdy, plus 2,500. Put some respect on Brock Purdy's name. Come on, man. He's below uh, Christian McCaffrey. I guess they might split the vote, though. So it'll be a little bit tough for Purdy to win, even if he uh, continues to be number one by EPA for play. Uh, that'll probably fall off, though, before we get to the end of the season. But anyway, it's just a little comical to see Josh Allen at the top of the MVP rankings. It's like people just wipe their complete memory slate because people are freaking out unnecessarily about Josh Allen's play. Um, the first week of the season where he had those turnovers and everyone was watching, and now you know people are on the other end of the extreme for him uh, this season. All right, let's get uh, Philly-Washington. Really interesting game because – they hung around a lot. They had a 17-14 lead, the Commanders, midway through the third quarter. Um, and then, obviously, the Eagles went back to go ahead. The Commanders scored at the very end of the game. And then they get the ball first, right? I believe in overtime, don't score. And then the Eagles get the field goal to win. Uh, Eagles had a much better success rate in this game, but it was really third and fourth down where they failed a lot. So I think that's a little bit more on the fluky side. If you look at it, the commanders converted eight of 17 third downs versus four of 12 for the Eagles. But this has been like a little bit of a sticky problem for the Eagles so far this year, um, which so that's what kind of enabled them to have similar offensive efficiency, despite the fact that the Eagles were gaining 6.2 yards per play versus 4.9 for the commanders. Um, it's been a lot of hand wringing about the Eagles offense, but I do think it's interesting the Eagles defense you know, it's like they were good, 4.9 yards per play, but they were bad giving up the third down. So I don't know. Like in overall, I'm not that worried about them, but it is a little bit weird to be giving up about a 92nd percentile offensive efficiency to the commanders in this one. Uh, Sam Howell, five more sacks in this game, but he, he had good numbers. He had better EPA per play than uh, Jalen Hurts. But again, a lot of like you get, I don't know if he's going to be able to convert on that sort of level on third down going forward. So he has 24 sacks this year. He's on pace for 102 when 
I think it's 72 is the record right now. So kind of crazy. I spoke with um, a Washington Post reporter earlier last week about whether or not sat, uh, Sam Howell and the sacks were fixable, whether it was a fatal flaw. I called them manageable if he plays really, really well in a Russell Wilson sort of standpoint. And that's what he did this this week, although five is still too many. We, we, we got to get that number down. Uh, A.J. Brown, huge game. So maybe I'll highlight that. Nine, 175, and two. Good good job there. Um, pretty good game for Hurts, though. But it's gonna it's a little bit weird because they had to go to overtime to win. Um, Colts and Rams. This is a weird one, right? Um, let's let's you know if you look at what Richardson has been doing this year. I don't know. People are like you got to ignore his completion percentage, or if you talk about it, it's it's dumb because he's doing all these other things that are really well. I mean, I guess so, but still, um, I think it was eleven for twenty five in this game. Eh, I mean, that's not not great. <laughs> negative 16 percent cpoe now he did generate epa per play so maybe this shows like he has a the upside this kid has if he can start you know making some more plays but there are a lot of big plays throwing the ball which i don't know if it'll be that sticky going forward um and also the pass percentage if you look at the colts they were 20 percent under expectation their pass rate in this one i mean they were just like running the ball like crazy um 23 nothing. the Rams are winning in this one with six minutes left in the third quarter. So I don't consider that, you know, some of that may be garbage time-ish because I'm sure that the win probability was extremely low at that point in time. Um, but then 23 unanswered. So uh, the Rams finish it off, though, with the first drive in overtime, scoring the touchdown. Uh, my luck-adjusted numbers for Matthew Stafford, I think, had him being the second-best quarterback in the NFL so far, or third, maybe it was third. Um, so, cause he had some bad luck to this point and man, he, he showed out in this game 0.32 EPA per play. He had some negatives, but still really, really solid game for him and crazy that he's been doing this without Cooper cup and with an offensive line that probably isn't good. Although I think they've been blocking a lot better this year. Unexpectedly have been blocking a lot better this year than what people expected would happen. All right. Cleveland, Baltimore, no Deshaun Watson. And it was ugly. 28 to three Ravens. Okay. Now I'm going to hate a little bit on the Ravens here and uh, Lamar Jackson only because I'm trying to press up against whatever the dominant narrative coming out of this, at least according to what I'm reading and what I'm seeing on, uh, on the Twitter bot. Um, you know, no, no I don't want to like, I like whatever. I like Lamar Jackson, but you know, it seems like um, it, it, people really like love to overhype his uh his accomplishments when they do happen um and he was good in this game don't get me wrong but 50th percentile offensive efficiency for the ravens in this one i know the browns defense has been really really good through the first three weeks of the season yet you know even against a great 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 defense you don't expect your performance to be that bad than versus an average defense i mean it has an effect but it's not that big of an effect. And plus the Browns benefited so far this year from weather conditions, at least in the first week of the season being pretty poor. So like they have a solid defense. They played well. They were put in a lot of really, really bad situations defensively. Um, but you know, let's, let's not like crown Lamar Jackson for getting an average sort of game out of this, at least according to, um, according to uh, offensive efficiency overall. 
Now, my numbers for EPA per play for Jackson look a lot better, and this is another situation where there was like an aborted play, a fumble on a bad exchange between Jackson and Gus Edwards that gets discounted by my numbers. Um, But supposedly, from what I read on social media, it was mostly on Jackson, so we'll see. I think he had a very good completion percentage over expectation, about 20% over expectation. So that probably fed into like how great of a game that Lamar Jackson had. Um, The one thing I'll say, though, is like obviously they had – big efficiency here with four touchdowns. So they didn't, you know, they got into the end zone every time they completed a bunch of third down. So they got a little bit more lucky on that. I mean, their success rate was under 40% offensively. They were not like successful on a play by play basis. And, you know, two of their touchdowns, one came from 10 yards away. Another one came from 38 yards away. So they're put in a pretty good position to score with field position. And also, you know, they just had the ball a decent amount because the Browns couldn't do anything. The Browns had a first percentile efficiency on the other side of it. So, you know, again, good good game for Jackson. I'll give him credit, but let's not get crazy. I don't think it's like everything is fixed for the Ravens um, offensively because the drop back passing game has been very up and down. It was bad in week one. It was good in week two. It was bad in week three, which had him about zero EPA added dropping back to pass through three weeks. And now it was pretty good in week four. So we're alternating here. I don't think there's any trend in any direction. Um, but obviously he could, this could be the beginning of a trend in, in, in a positive direction. We just a little early to say at this point, let's not crown him. Like he was an MVP. He's like an MVP, real MVP candidate. I think at this point, despite the fact that the Ravens are doing well. So who knows? Uh, Texans versus the Steelers. I don't know, man. Looking rough for the Steelers. Uh, Tomlin is talking about potential changes going forward. Kenny Pickett, I guess he's injured. We'll see what he looks like. Him going forward, it's not like he's been good anyway. I think he's been worst or second worst quarterback in the NFL. Uh, I think it's second worst so far in EPA per play this season. Um, But the story is C.J. Stroud, Right? Uh, it's not, you don't want to get too early crowning this guy, but he's middle of the table EPA per play so far. So that's pretty good. Uh, and then after he had, that includes a rough game in Baltimore week one. So we don't want to say, okay, you just throw week one away and you look at the last three weeks and those matter so much more than week one. It doesn't matter at all because that was his first start. No, you know, it, it matters. Sure. You'll, it doesn't matter as much as what he did last week, but it matters a little bit. So I think overall, Looking at him as playing above average so far for NFL quarterback is correct, even if he's in the middle of the table, like more average-ish by his numbers so far this year. But I'm I'm not you know saying, oh, this guy's playing like a top 10 quarterback because of the last three weeks and ignore his struggles in week one either. Uh, what he is doing, though, which I really like to see, and I wasn't sure it would be the case because like his pressured performance wasn't – his relative pressure performance in college wasn't as good as his – clean pocket performance, but he's not taking sacks. And I love to see that actually he hasn't had a turnover or a sack in the last two games, which is pretty incredible. Um, That offensive line seems to really come together there. Maybe they had a lot more pieces on the Texans than we thought, um, which is good for them too. It's because they know their first round pick next year. They're, they're looking like a strong team by how they've performed so far this year. And again, if Stroud doesn't have those negatives 
and he's completing the ball down the field and he's rushing a little bit too. He's, he's like getting out there using his legs. He's probably a better athlete than someone like Bryce Young. I mean, he's bigger at least, and he's probably actually a better athlete than someone like Bryce Young, even though he didn't scramble as much in college. Uh, yeah, all that's looking r- really, really good. And, you know, I had the guy as my QB3 coming into the season, but I didn't even put a lot of weight on my own quarterback rankings, honestly, coming into the season. And I think it's weird that, like, the argument that I was trying to make that the Bears should have looked at drafting a quarterback in number one, and then people are going to come back and say, oh, they just would have taken Bryce Young anyway, so who cares? Well, I mean, C.J. Stroud went number two, and he's playing well. Anthony Richardson went number four, and he's playing well. Like, you got to look at in totality of their, like, three quarterbacks that were worth very, very high draft picks. And whenever you're drafting number one, you have to think about it. So just because the guy who went number one looks like he's failing so far and the other two look good, it doesn't mean you just throw out the window, like the strategy of taking a shot on one of those guys. I mean, in fact, when I wrote up the article very early in the offseason, might have been like right as the season ended, honestly, for the Bears that they should look at drafting a quarterback at number one you know I mentioned Young or Stroud I don't prefer one to the other because at that point in time those are the two guys that were seen as being potentially the number one pick I would have thrown Richardson in there if I knew that he had some chance of being a top guy again there's so much randomness involved in this that you're you're taking a calculated risk to go near the top could the Bears have taken um, Bryce Young and felt like they were in an even worse situation True, but they just as easily could have decided upon C.J. Stroud. They're thin margins on all these different things and move forward. Um, But I'll also say, let's not get too overconfident. I see a lot of people with the social media, like the perfect social media tweets, which are, you know, oh, everyone was saying because of his S2 score, which I was very skeptical of at the time. Of the S2 score, that's why, you know, he wasn't good and, uh, you know, blah, 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 and getting all, you know, high and mighty about that. It's like, whatever, crow about it at the time. Don't crow about it after like four weeks into the season and trying to make a point about it. Um, You know, if you thought it was was dumb at the time, you should have been pounding. I want to see table pounding for CJ Stroud as QB1 at the time, not coming back now and making a big thing about people's reliance on the S2 score. I don't know. I, I guess I just don't like the... It's not even victory lapping. It's like, uh, uh, it's like enragement slash, um, why, why is the word escaping me? But it's these guys who have like righteous indignation, righteous in- indignation. Have that at the time when people are disagreeing with you, not at the time where the results are like completely in favor of your argument. Uh, okay. Carolina versus Minnesota. So, so weird here because I had the Vikings being pretty good, even though they were 0-3 this season. Now they have just an awful game and they win. So, like, Kirk Cousins have been great so far this year. He was poop in this game. Losing .4 EPA per play. I uh, only had 26 plays because they didn't really need to do a whole lot with the Panthers being so uh, neutered offensively. But... 99 yard pick six, a third and goal, negative 11.3 EPA. One of the, but I guess that's probably the worst play on the season. Although because it was third and goal, if it was first and goal. It really would have been bad because it was third and goal. Probably not, maybe not as bad. Uh, and then Bryce Young says, you know, hold my beer. Uh, let me, let me give you a 72 yard fumble six for a negative 10.3 EPA. I want to be up there in that area too. 
Um, you know, I, I'm not writing off Bryce Young by any stretch. I do think when you watch him play, you're like, eh, this guy does seem pretty small, and I'm not sure if he really has the arm strength. Um, but again, one of my problems as in a, as a, when I'm trying to do any sort of like armchair quarterback evaluation, I say, well, Bryce Young looks really good by the numbers in college. Pretty much a perfect prospect outside of his size. Like if you look just in the numbers based, he was really, really good. I mean, not perfect, just overstating, but whatever. Like plenty good enough, plenty strong enough. The strongest of the three, I would say, uh, that were that were considered that went in the top four picks. And then I look at evaluations for people who are supposed to know what they're doing. Although, you know, I don't think they totally know what they're doing. And you, you have to acknowledge the randomness here. And they say Bryce Young is worth a first round, number one overall pick that, you know, arm strength, it, it's fine that he can do it, that he can do that. So I'm like, okay, who am I to argue? I don't know anything. Um, you know, like then, then he should be fine as a number one pick. And then when he doesn't look good in, you know, the pros, you're going to say like, oh, we should have all known this. We should have all known that. Well, what, I mean, where, why didn't we know this stuff before? for people who are watching the tape for all for the, the Carolina Panthers front office for all like he was the QB one by consensus, big board rankings and other things. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't want to do too much money morning quarterbacking. I don't think it was just the S two test that was holding down um, CJ Stroud in that evaluation. Um, so let's, let's, you know, let's not do too much um, victory lapping on takes. We didn't even have, necessarily coming into the season for a lot of people i was looking at the consensus big board in one place where it lists out specifically and one place i think it was usa today i don't know who does it over there had stroud above uh bryce young and the other like 12 different services that they were tracking all had young above stroud so you know no guy actually it's kind of good in some ways because thank god there wasn't like draft twitter was totally behind stroud and then he goes to, can you imagine the victory lapping that would be going on here and the crowing and the righteous indignation? It would be even more exhausting than whatever is currently going on. Uh, Tennessee, Cincinnati. Oh my God. I don't know what the hell's going on with the Bengals. Weird in this one that they're actually a one point better by the adjusted score versus the 24 point loss. Um, they had a good success rate. I mean, 54% success rate. Titans are pretty good too at 50%. Third and fourth down, just horrible, like horrible, horrible. And turnovers, too, feed into that big time, right? Um, A dot, 4.7 yards for, for, for Burrow. What the hell is going on here? I mean, I know his calf is bothering me. I know he doesn't have the strongest arm. I know the defenses are adjusting with too high. But, man, they are just completely shutting down that offense and what they can do down the field. And I guess his, his turnover is in sacks weren't that bad. He took negative 10 EPA versus 7.5 for Tannehill, but Tannehill is just doing the exact opposite. 12.3 yard a dot versus 4.7 for Burrow completing passes down the field. And in fact, he was like fingertip ish a few inches away from a 55 yard bomb to Deandre Hopkins on a trick play where they, they tossed it to Henry and then Henry threw it back to, to Tannehill on this one. So I don't know looking, I mean, looking bad Bengals defense has not been as good as you would have hoped so far this year. And obviously the offense has been horrific versus what you'd hope so far this year. Uh, one in three. And even coming into this game, you know, there's some teams that are one and two that were zero and three, actually a lot of them that were one and two and zero and three. And I thought to myself, you know what? There's some positives here. They're probably better than their record. Uh, Bengals weren't one of those teams. They were a one and two team and maybe they were, you know, 
kind of lucky in some ways to be to be even even have one victory. Now they're one and three, and I don't think they're playing better than that record either. So uh, things are looking rough, looking rough for the Bengals this year. Saints Bucks, um, big victory for the Bucks here. I don't know how much to attribute this to Derek Carr's injury, but they had a 32% success rate offensively, which is bad, bad, bad. Um, couldn't couldn't convert third downs, which is bad. Massive special teams advantage for the Saints, and it didn't matter. Uh, Baker, you know, I'm not going to get too excited about Baker, but I think he's in the top 10 in EPA per play so far this year. And this is one of the things I wrote up in the – I'm going to tout myself here a little bit um, – gratuitously this is one of the things that i wrote up in the nfc south preview was why i liked the bucks more a lot more than the market was because you know you put baker in a situation where he probably has a decent offensive line he's got some decent weapons he's got an okay defense to you know make it so he doesn't have to throw the ball 50 times a game and maybe some good things can happen here and that's kind of what we got for him so far is he a top 10 quarterback hell no um is he someone who could give you league average is he closer to league average than what some people think yes uh, Mike Evans left the game with a hamstring injury. I don't think that's going to be a major concern going forward, according to initial reports, but he's had similar problems in the past. So we'll, we'll see on that one. Uh, Derek Carr, five yard, a dot. So not quite as bad as Joe Burrow, but really, really bad. Um, 3.6 yards per attempt for Derek Carr. So just ugly. I didn't watch a ton of this game. I'm not sure often even came up on red zone. So I don't know how bad it looked, but I'm sure in New Orleans, there's already some buyer's remorse on Carr. Uh, although it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, he's like pretty close to Baker Mayfield-ish sort of player, honestly. A little bit better, probably. Um, but, we, you know, they, there was no reason to get too excited from the Saints' perspective. They had a really, really easy schedule this year. But the fact that Baker's giving you that upside that you wouldn't have expected from the Bucs um, probably puts them in the driver's seat now for that division. Um if you assume the quarterback situation in Atlanta is as bad as it looks. Okay. Uh, Bears in Denver. What a game here, right? We had the Bears offense looking like the 2007 Patriots in the first half of the game. Well, the first almost three quarters of the game, but then they didn't score again after when there was 4-11 left in the third quarter was the last time that they scored. Um, this Broncos defense is super bad. Like they're the worst defense in the NFL, um, adjusted for strength of schedule by far so far this year. And yeah, they got the 70 burger from the Dolphins. So that hurts, but they also look pretty bad against the Raiders at home. They looked obviously bad in this game where, you know, strength of schedule adjusted, you would have expected the bears to be, to be awful. So the fact that, even though they won the game that they're, you know, the bears had pretty good efficiency in this one is a major ding to the Broncos defense here. And uh, who else did they play here? The commanders to give 35 points to the commanders. Now that was mostly a second half sort of thing. So the flip side of the first half thing here, but still um, not good, not good at all. So far for the Broncos defense, worst defense in the NFL, um, which is, I know everyone, like the the two least sympathetic people in the NFL, at least the quarterback might be Russell Wilson. I mean, you know, it's funny. Uh, I like Pablo Torre, but I thought it was a little bit weird that he did this podcast where he's interviewing Nate Tice, 
who went to college with Russell Wilson. And it's like you do an entire interview with someone who's a football media person for them just to talk about how Russell Wilson is weird. Like, what, what, like this is your interview? Um, and whatever happened to like, you know, if you're going to, obviously this is not something that Nate Tice went to Russell Wilson and was like, hey, do you mind if I share these stories? No, he's just out there talking. And you know it's going to be painted negatively. The YouTube thumbnail was like, Russell Wilson is even weirder than you think. Yeah, why not just keep that to yourself? Keep that to yourself, Tice. You know, keep that to yourself. <laughs> now, do all do all like potential quarterbacks who could become something need to worry about what they're doing in college so that their former roommates won't go on podcasts in the future and talk about how weird they are? Um, anyway, so Russell Wilson, very unsympathetic. Sean Payton, people seem to hate him a lot. Very unsympathetic. But you know what? They're doing okay this year. Russell Wilson. In the top five or six, I think, in EPA per play so far this season. Um, Broncos offense, 97.5 percentile. Sure, they're playing the Bears, but hey, you know, you can't ask for that much better than that against the Bears. Right? The offense, eighth in EPA per play. Ninth in drop back efficiency so far this year. Like, th the story would be if the defense which was a top 10 defense against the pass last year, the Broncos defense. And the defense didn't fall off to 32nd in the NFL uh, to dead last. The story here would be Sean Payton, Russell Wilson are back and it's working. And what a brilliant move by the Broncos to go and get him, which I liked it. I thought he was worth it. The first round pick and everything else. What a brilliant move. That would be this narrative now, but instead it's like they're hanging on for dear life here. Uh, Justin Fields, not only was this his best game of the season, but it was actually his best throwing game pretty much ever because it didn't come via scrambles like he did last year where he was gaining a lot of, of value. I mean, he had a ton, 22.5 pass EPA when you hold out the interceptions. That's incredible, right? Um, but he had the fumble six for 9.7 EPA. And that was backbreaking and crushing there at the end. Um, but if you look at the numbers he put up here, and this is what the, the, the Broncos defense has just given up career historic highs all over the place, 28 pass completions, best he's ever had. 26 was the best he had before that 335 yards versus 291 was the best he ever had. So first 300 yard game for fields, four touchdowns, three touchdowns passing is the best he ever had before there. So, this Broncos defense is just like giving up stuff left and right. All right. Let's get to the late window, which is pretty tiny. And then I'll get to your questions. So if you have any questions, go ahead and uh, drop them in the comments here on YouTube. I got Brock Purdy, my man. Um, Brock Purdy slander. We will not stand for this slander. Although I kind of slandered him a bit by saying, I adjusted his EPA down based upon turnover luck. We'll see. We'll, we'll see where that stands at the end of this week. I didn't watch the game, so he didn't have many incompletions. I think I had one incompletion, so I doubt he had many turnover-worthy throws in this game. Um, this is an interesting one. Chargers and Raiders. The Raiders actually look like the better team, according to the fundamentals here. Weirdly, they had kind of like an average success rate, whereas the Chargers had a low success rate in this game. But turnovers, massive turnover problems for the Raiders. And then everything went against them. Turnovers went against them. Special teams went against them. Third down and fourth down went against them. All three of those things went against them. Um, when that happens, you know, it's tough to win on the road. Uh, 
And I don't think Aiden O'Connell was like good in this game, but it was really the turnovers that sunk the team in this one. Um, especially a first and goal from the three yard line interception near the end of the game. That was just like massively negative in this one. Um, 6.6 EPA loss on that one, two strip sacks for another 10.6 EPA. I mean, it's bad, not just bad luck to have strip sacks come out against you. There's something to that with the quarterback, but you know, Losing a couple of fumbles is probably a little bit bad luck. Although he fumbled three times. So I guess he only lost two. So, so in some ways, in some ways it's better um, than you would have expected. Let's get to the, why is there such a huge, oh, the penalty. So the Raiders, nine penalties for 80 yards versus four for 34. So that seems to be a big difference. Um, But yeah, if you look at, Yards per play. Jesus, this was an ugly game by both teams. 3.8 for the Raiders, 4.8 for the Chargers on this one. Um, What else happened in the play-by-play that's leading into this? Is there any missed field goals in this one? Mm, no, so I guess it was just the penalties were really that costly for, for the Raiders in this game. Uh, I don't know what to say about Herbert. It was one of those games where it's like, yeah, yeah, he was okay. He had flat EPA in this one. He's still in the top 10, I think, so far this season. Let me see, actually. Where does um, Herbert rank right now in EPA per play? He is eighth. So not bad. But, you know, between Prescott and Jordan Love, um, I don't know. This one of these things is weird with Herbert. Like, I feel like I was Herbert truther when he was drafted, meaning I was thinking to myself, hey, this guy looked pretty good. He probably would have been the number one pick if he had come out earlier the year before. He stayed for his senior year. You know, he's got a lot of talent. Um, he's a four-year starter. Maybe we shouldn't be so rough on him. Then very early into his rookie year, I was like, oh, this guy's legit. Like, we need to come quickly just say this guy could be the best quarterback of the class when people were still hemming and hawing about that. Um, but now over the last couple of years, last year and this year, hmm, I was very high on him going into last year, but he wasn't that great last year by the numbers. And I know everyone wants to blame it on Joe Lombardi. I mean, his A dot is up this year. It's up to 8.8 versus 6.4 a year ago. So yeah, there might've been something to that and that's helping his efficiency this year, but still, I don't know. I want to see a little bit more from him. Um, a little bit more before I'm really, you know, putting him in this category of being a top, top, top quarterback. Like some people are putting him in there as being a top, top, top quarterback. Not sure I'm quite there. Now, Burrow was falling off a cliff, falling off a cliff. So maybe he's not necessarily there either. But it just really like what this season is highlighted for me. And this is kind of where I was going into the season is, is it's a tier one of Mahomes. It's a tier two of Allen. And then I don't really think anyone else is in that second tier other than Josh Allen right now. Burrow was looking like he might get close. Herbert was looking like he might be in the neighborhood. But, you know, I think I think I'm, I'm comfortable now just saying that's the case. That's the case right now. That's it. Um, but, you know, they, they get the W here. So that's good for the Chargers where back-to-back weeks, they've now won games that they would normally lose. So that's going gonna, that's gonna to help them out going forward as far as making it to the playoffs, all that sort of stuff. They didn't do their normal Charger stuff. Uh, Niners, Cardinals. I thought the Cardinals had a chance in this one to keep it close. I kind of liked them. 
as 14, 14 and a half point underdogs. Nope, didn't happen. But they, they played well. It's just they, they ran into a complete juggernaut on the other side. 49ers, 99.8 percentile for offensive efficiency. Can't do much with that. Uh, Brock Purdy, over a point per play. Now, only 25 plays. Uh, 24 dropbacks and a design run. But still, over a point per play. Completed 20, completed every pass but one. 20 of 21 passing the ball. Uh, the rate that he completed them, 27.2% above expectation. I think he had the highest according to next-gen stats, which actually tracks the location of the defenders and receivers and everything else using the tracking data. I think it was the best number they've had in their seven years of data. The best number for completion percentage over expected for Brock Purdy in this one. Didn't watch a lot of the game, so I don't really know like how good he looked, but you can't really argue with that. Uh, Josh Dobbs keeps trucking along. It's like the perfect solution for the Cardinals. Lose games, but don't be completely embarrassing. And they're only down by five points in the early fourth quarter, so they had a chance to keep this a little bit closer. Um, there's just nothing you can do with an offense that's 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 crushing like that. Um so in some ways, the Cardinals, I don't know. Like I said, I think if you replayed this game 100 times, they probably cover more often than not that two touchdown spread. But you, you can't do anything when you get a, you know, a 99th percentile outcome offensively on the other side of the ball. Uh, Cowboys, New England, 35 point differential, only 14 by the adjusted scores. The Cowboys do this, did the thing again, which they were doing the first couple of weeks of completely dominating via turnovers, which my adjusted scores don't look at as positively. So they still give them, you know, multi touchdown wins, but not these like ridiculous point differentials that they had the first two weeks. And then this week, uh, but they did hold them under 30% success rate for the Patriots. So that's pretty bad. What are we going to do with Mac Jones here? Bailey Zappi got into the game. Looked like trash. Also uh, Mac Jones has actually been like, okay. When he doesn't turn the ball over, but the guy is just like a turnover machine. He leads the NFL in EPA loss to interceptions this year at 26.3. He's in the bottom 12 also for sacks and fumbles. Just not enough upside in this offense. Not enough firepower to mitigate those losses. I don't know what to do about Jones. It seems to be kind of built into his DNA, maybe, to take too many of these risks. And that's going to be a big problem for the Patriots. So if you want to move on to Zappi, go ahead. I don't know if it's probably not going to help. Uh, Prescott, solid effort for him, 12.9% over expectation. And his two most costly plays, he had two garbage time sacks, 6.5 EPA loss, but both of them, they had 100% win probability at the time. So his game was probably even better than the 0.11 EPA per play. He had like a good game as opposed to a, eh, okay game, according to the numbers. Because, like, who cares if you're taking sacks with 100% win probability at the time? All right. Uh, we've talked it all here. Uh, I'll even type in, say, drop Q&A here. See if there's anything going on in the Q&A here. Um, he's so high variance, you don't think Allen can win MVP? Well, is that kind of like a good thing for winning MVP? High variance? Maybe not. It just depends on where you end the season, right? Like, when I think about Allen and his MVP chances, like, if he ends the season with a game like he had here, I think he maybe he could, and they have the best record in the AFC. I think he definitely could. Let's remember, uh, I'll give you an example. Um, 
And I do think the MVP is more of a like reflects reality reward than the narrative reward. But let's think back to the 2021 season. Um, I remember how frustrated I was the off season after because people were ranking Allen. Some people were ranking Allen above Mahomes, even though Allen kind of had a bad season relative to what he had done in 2020. Um, but he, he had a crushing playoffs where he com- they completely destroyed the Patriots the first week. And then he had as good of a game as he possibly could have against the Chiefs who just happened to get the ball last and beat him. So like he still can, he, I agree is high variance. So it's going to be, it's going to be tough if he ends on a bad note or a bad game, there will be some bad games mixed in there. But if he has some good games in huge matchups, like he did this last week and on prime time, I don't know. I, I think it'll mitigate some of the, the potential negatives from the high variance. Uh, what do you believe to be an underrated marker to why you see the quarterback correlated success? If we were going to clean what kind of expected outcomes between why does it work when it does? Um, I don't know if I quite understand the question here, but I, I mean, I talked about some of this in regards to what had happened with um, Mahomes and Zach Wilson here. So like interceptions overrated, sacks underrated, um, scrambles underrated, um, success rate overrated versus explosive plays probably underrated, can be underrated a bit. Uh, those are some some good markers, but especially not taking sacks. Like that is by far the most underrated thing out there that gets ignored or gets put on the offensive line way too often when it does not believe so. Uh, do you think the Bills are definitively the best team in the NFL? No, I don't. I mean, this is going to be one of these things where people are going to probably crush me. Um, I mean, I, I have them as number one in my power rankings, okay? And they're still going to, they were number one coming in to last week. And they had a great, great, great game against a tough opponent. So they're still going to be number one. But there's not going to be like a huge difference between them and the Chiefs will probably still be second because the Dolphins were third. So I don't think there's going to be a flipping going on there with the performance there. But the reality is like the Dolphins have been as good or not better than the Bills this season, even though they lost them this last week in Buffalo because it's one week of results. I know according to like power rankings logic that dominates the industry, not only can only, you know, like the 49ers will have to be number one in the power rankings because they're four and oh, or, or <laughs> I guess the Eagles are four and oh too, but they haven't looked as good. So the 49ers will have to be number one in everyone's power rankings because they're four and oh. And at the same point in time, like the uh, bills will have to be above the dolphins, even though they probably should be because they just beat them. Um, even though it's like the game could go the other direction, they play again next week. So I love power rankings talk, but no, I don't think they're definitively the best team in the NFL, but I, I, I'll have them explicitly the best team. According to my power rankings, I, I see no reason that's going to change and their lead will extend a bit. Um, not going to be the 49ers as number one, which will, again, power ranking, the power rankings industrial complex will have them a number one, a lot because record four zero versus record three, one, you know? And that nonsense. Uh, Fortnite's will play better than I expected, though. So I'll give him credit. Uh, so much variance in the NFL this week. Didn't have Fields and Wilson doing well on my bingo card. Yeah, it's kind of disappointing for Fields, honestly, on this one that he had like an overall good game. 
like a really good game. Broncos defense, yeah, yeah, yeah. But even even against the Broncos defense, I'll, I'll, I'll use this as the flip side of the Lamar Jackson. Don't give him too much credit because he was playing the the Browns defense, where defense doesn't have that big of an effect on offense. Um, at least that should be our general assumption. The same, like let's not give let's not take away too much from Fields because he was playing the Broncos defense either. Um, it just sucks that they lost and he lost a fumble at the end, a massive fumble six, right? And so he played a lot better than Wilson, but there's probably more positive juju out there about Wilson than there is about Fields uh, right now. Uh, he says the two holding calls are contingent on each other. If called by the book, both are penalties. If called by the spirit of the rule, neither are calling one and not the other is inconsistent. I mean, whatever, but you don't like, like these are individual plays and i don't think they aren't contingent on each other number one is it the same exact referee making both calls no well then who cares like you speak believe there's like a mind meld going on between all the different officials and therefore they're consciously saying we're gonna let one go versus another no they might have just missed one versus versus not missing another right this is not this this is not like this is not like a conscious decision People think this is these are conscious decisions. These are not conscious decisions. These are doing your best to see what happens and reacting. Not conscious decisions. I don't think someone definitively saw the first holding. Again, they don't have replay. They can't have the cameras stop on there and look at this. Uh, I don't think that someone definitively saw the first one and said, you know what? This is a penalty by the letter of the law, but I'm going to let them play because that's my philosophy of this crew in this game. And then they saw the second one and they said, you know what? We're supposed to have a philosophy of let them play. And that's our philosophy that we all discussed beforehand. And that influenced our other calls. And now we're not going to let them play. No, it's, 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 it's much more complicated than that. Okay. They're individuals making decisions. They're individual plays. They don't have an overall overarching philosophy. Sometimes they see it. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it hits the threshold for what they're going to call. Sometimes it doesn't. All these things go into play. And, and you know, it's it's just, it's it's randomness. Again, there's a lot of randomness here. This is not like, this is not an overarching philosophy of, of, of a game. Do you think these officials get together before the game? And they're like, you know what? Um, when we get to the fourth quarter and it's the last drive of the game, we're not going to call holding? Because what does it even mean? Like, you got to call some holding. Like, do you think they discuss, okay, if we get to this exact, if we get to a 55th percentile threshold for holding, but not the 65th percentile threshold for holding, then we're not going to call it versus, like, there's not, this is, this is all very, like, untangible sort of, sort of things. People attribute way too much uh, meaning and, uh, and thought and planning into what these officials are doing versus they're just trying to do a good job and these are the results and that's it. Um, and it's almost impossible to eliminate all of this mistakes. Um, training's part of it. All these other things are part of it, but it's going to be difficult to have people be satisfied. And there's a reason why every single sport that's ever been played, people can complain about the refs. And it's not because no one has figured out how to do refereeing properly. And if you were in charge of the refereeing, it would be done properly. Guess what? It would still suck. Uh, people still think it sucked if you were in charge. Anyway, that's my rant at the end of this uh, stream. You know, I haven't been doing... The midweek one, so I probably won't again this week. I shouldn't I shouldn't advertise that I might do midweek and then not do it. Um, but I'll, I'll be at you Friday morning to review Thursday night football and talk about the weekend's games. Thanks so much, for everyone, for tuning in. Go to unexpectedpoints.com.
www.substack.com. Subscribe. Get all of the goodness uh, in written form that you can peruse over, including adjusted quarterback efficiency numbers, power rankings, all that sort of stuff. Um, in the meantime, uh, take it easy this week. Digest everything. Don't overreact. And I'll be talking. Later.